Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'm Anne and with co-host Bill, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present and to acknowledge that sovereignty over this land was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drug, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery stories and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today, the focus is on Al-Anon family groups. Al-Anon is a fellowship of relatives and friends of alcoholics who share their experience, strength and hope in order to solve their common problems. Al-Anon believes that alcoholism is a family illness and that changed attitudes can aid recovery. This week I'm joined by Robert, a member of Al-Anon family groups from Columbus, Ohio in the United States. Welcome, Robert. Yes, thank you, Anne. It's a pleasure to be here. And by the way, I'm joining you from the ancestral land of the Miami nation who did cede their land, but if you can call it fair, they were facing the United States Cavalry at the time. Uh Similar but different situation. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, so to get back to um, to you now, um, can you tell us a little bit about where and uh, well, let's just start uh, before that, before we get on to that. Why are you in Al-Anon? Who, who qualifies you to come to Al-Anon? Well, I qualify for myself. I'm a I'm I'm a mess. <laughs> this program, but, but the uh, the alcoholic. Um, what actually? So it's technically my mother. She does go to AA. Um, but I don't never remember her drinking. That's how insidious this effect is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the alcoholics were real. The ones I remember as problem drinkers were her parents. Um, so my grandparents. Yes. Um, wonderful people, but I never knew them as adults. Yes. And and so do you want to talk a little bit about how you understand that insidious nature of that family uh, illness? Uh, yeah. So from what I have learned from my mother's family and what she grew up with. Um, she was born in um, the end stages of the second world war. And um, her parents always wanted a boy um, as frequently people did in those days in the forties. And so I, all I know is that her parents were um, very heavy drinkers. Her mother was on, you know, most of those mood altering medications Mm. that doctors readily handed out back in the day. Um, But my memory of them, though, which I I actually look back on with great fondness, although it horrifies me now, um, they lived in Detroit, which is right on the border with Canada. And so whenever my parents would drop the grandchildren off with them, the first thing they would do is throw us in the car and drive over to Canada. And the reason to do that was to stock up on duty-free alcohol at the duty-free shop on the border 
and so that my grandfather could go buy Cuban cigars in Canada, which is <laughs> illegal in the U.S. And then when we crossed back into the U.S. in order to stop customs from seeing it, my sister would sit on the liquor bottles and I would stuff the Cuban cigars down my pockets. That's <laughs> okay. um, childhood memories. But, um, but anyway, um, you know, my mother's parents never really had much time for her. Um, I think she was uh, abused uh, emotionally, if not physically. I don't know. And... Uh, when her brother finally came along many years later, he was just spoiled rotten, and she ended up um, just about forgotten about. Her brother, by the way, is another person who qualifies me to be here, my uncle, my godfather. And he died, well, he was an alcoholic when I was born. He was also on heroin, all sorts of drugs. Mm. He, he cleaned himself up beautifully. He had a wonderful job, wonderful house, wonderful wife, and three kids. And um, one day he wrecked his motorcycle and at the hospital, they pumped him full of some opiate for pain. And that's all she wrote. Um, a few years later, he was living in a flop house in Chicago and died of an overdose. Mm. Yep. So that's one way it's so insidious. You can do the best possible thing in recovery and still mm -hmm. it finds a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was your, your own experience of childhood and adolescence like, Robert? Oh, it was, it was miserable. Um, so I have some early memories that are very traumatic. There was sexual abuse in the house. I was not a uh, part of it, so it's not really my story, but it's mm. part of my... Um, no, I, I I do have a memory, though, of being thrown down the stairs as a toddler or as a young child. It's one of my earliest memories, lying on the floor at the bottom of the stairs, just gasping for breath and hearing my mother say, let him suffer. Oh. Um, she doesn't believe that actually happened. But, um, you know, it, and it doesn't even matter. It's a memory that is formative for me. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, um, she was raised by people who didn't know really how to raise children i you know um i'm not even sure either one of my parents really wanted children to be honest with you my father um he was one of three children and his parents had amassed a, a decent sum of money and they sat all the kids together and said they said the first one of you that have, has children gets it mm. and so you know they all did their best but mm. Yeah. And, and and how was your experience outside of the house then in school, for example, and in friendship groups? So when I was a young child, um, my memories are, except for that one at home, fairly happy. You know, we'd have parties and go on trips and things like that. It was when I got a little bit older that things start to really happen. Um, um, I, you know, I... I never really learned how to uh, how to relate to other people properly, and I I had a few friends, but um, you know, not not very many, and it was a very lonely time. Um, yeah, it was just a very lonely time. On top of all that, I had some some health issues. Um, yeah, one other thing, I, I developed an allergy to milk, but I had to drink it anyway, so mm. uh, I was forced to. I got. I got quite sick, had to go for some horrible medical procedures. Um, yeah, so it was not a good time. And as I got older, I 
spent quite a lot of my teenage years um, suicidal, cutting myself. Mm. Um, I tried drinking, but you know what? It All the alcoholics around me felt better when they drank. I just got sick. Mm-hmm. So... Um, mm. Anyway, yeah. So I, I tried. It just it just didn't work for me like it did, like it seemed to for them. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and what was what's what was going on for you um, mentally and emotionally that was causing you to to harm yourself in that way? Well, for one thing, I felt I just didn't fit in. For another, I um, came to realize that I was gay, and this was in a in a time and in a place when that was just not acceptable. Mm. Um, I can remember. So one of the things we did when I was a child was um, we would spend the weekends with friends and go to their church on, on a Sunday morning. And one church I went to, I, I, I just remember this horribly anti, anti-gay sermon. And this one pastor who would stand right outside of one of my schools, just off the school grounds where he could do it. And, hand out pamphlets about how anybody who was, you know, was gay had to turn or burn. And this really got into my head. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was convinced that God made me to hate me. Mm -hmm. And that was the case. Why not speed it along if I'm going to wind up in hell anyway? Mm -hmm. So. And and where did that take you then coming into your, your adult life? Oh, I mean, I was unable to form healthy relationships with anybody. Um, I had a few codependent relationships. Don't get me wrong. Usually with addicts who, you know, they're just my type. I seek them out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, um, friends and family would, or friends and relatives, I would also be used by, um, you know, my, my first romantic and sexual encounters were, utterly disastrous mm. um you know I, I hear about people who uh you know have these fond memories of their first sexual encounter mine ended up with me just crying all night long mm. so um yeah and i feel like i'm i feel like i'm sitting on the pity pot right now that's not the case at all i really <laughs> tell the story but um you know it is what it is uh-huh. and it it made me um who i am today for better or for worse uh-huh um look robert uh that's a great place to to stop for a little break we might stop and play some music um and uh i'm sure when we come back you you know nobody has to stay on the pity pot so um, (laughs) we can talk about other things um so here's a little bit of music um by um vicar and linda and the song is called princess taboo
From the 1st to the 7th of October in Mianjin, Brisbane, the Disrupt Land Forces Festival of Resistance will be held to disrupt and interrupt the efforts of the military-industrial complex who generate conflict as the byproduct of profit. Disrupt Land Forces is a decentralised, intersectional, direct action campaign taking place over seven days through creative and collaborative action in resistance to Land Forces, the largest land-based weapons expo in the Southern Hemisphere. You can hear more about those profiteering off death and destruction and the history of anti-military activism in so-called Australia on 3CR Community Radio in the coming weeks. So head to Mianjin on the 1st to the 7th of October 2022 for the Disrupt Land Forces Festival of Resistance. For more information, visit disruptlandforces.org. A 3CR supporter. struggling with drugs, alcohol, gambling or food, or concerned about somebody who is, tune in to The Living Free Show on 3CR at 1pm every Thursday. I don't know how I got there, but and I couldn't stop it. I had stopped expecting that anybody cared. Never enough. I'm never enough. It's never enough. He's never enough. That was the confusion. Tune in to Living Free, stories of recovery from addictive behaviour. Thursdays at 1pm on 3CR or listen at 3CR on digital radio or podcasts and live streaming on 3cr.org.au Being able to centre myself and be okay in myself and turn my world around Living free This is a Living Free Show on 3CR 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you would like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. I'm talking today with Robert, a member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. Robert is joining us from Ohio in the United States. Welcome back, Robert. Thanks, Anne. Now, uh, can you just uh, t- take us up to um, the point where you decided to um, go to Al-Anon? Could you tell that story, please? After struggling through most of my 20s and uh, 30s with various mental health conditions, physical conditions, um, my husband and I moved to another city to where I am now in Ohio. And um, we were both pursuing advanced degrees at the same time, which any marriage that takes that is amazing. Um, Very (laughs) stressful. And to top it all off, I have epilepsy and I had to switch medications for various reasons. Well, the one I went on to turns out to cause or exacerbate depression. Well, I already had depression, so it made it worse. I was waking up at about four o'clock in the morning every day, dreaming of putting a, a gun to my brain. Mm. And so I still didn't think I needed any help. This is how messed up I was. I was about to use a different word, but <laughs> messed up. Word. And I went to my neurologist for a refill of this medication and they gave me a mental health questionnaire form and immediately had me in to see a psychiatrist. And we talked for a while, and he gave me some medication that would help, but 
he said, you know, talked about my life. And he says, what you really need is Al-Anon. And well, I had heard this before, but I guess this was the time I was ready to listen and coming from the right person. So I, I found a meeting that, um, well, I went to a meeting and I, 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 by the way, I had been to Al-Anon meetings before I'd been dragged along when I was younger, but I thought it was just a bunch of old ladies sitting around complaining about their husbands. Mm. Uh, when I, I found one that was intended for adult children like me and, you know, that first meeting, I just remember hearing everything that people said. And when it was my turn to speak and I was called on, I just started to cry mm-hmm. and, and told my entire life story. I felt like I had just vomited up my entire life and, and you know what? Nobody criticized me and told me I was crazy. Nobody told me I was useless or hopeless or unlovable, which is all what I always got when I was a child from talking about my feelings. Mm. So um, it was absolutely amazing that I, I went and told some of my deepest secrets and how and showed how messed up I was. And the response was a hug. <laughs> and that that was so incredibly powerful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I, do you want to hear the story about what got me to Al-Anon in, in Australia? Sure, I do very much so. All right, because that's almost almost as interesting. <laughs> um, so in so in the midst of all of this, um, well, so I worked through the program, and I ended up moving to another city for a job, and it got more and more inconvenient to get to meetings. So, you know, I felt better. I, I went into Al-Anon with a program of, with the idea of working 12 steps in 12 weeks, graduating and leaving and never. Well, 12 weeks turned into 12 months, but you know, I started going less and less and less. And finally I just stopped. And, um, so this takes us back to two years. Well, summer of, well, for me, summer of 2020 it would have been June. And, you know, we were in the midst of lockdown and I had just had an eye injury that prevented me from being able to be out in sunlight. And there's a lot of sun here in June. Mm-hmm. So I had to go nocturnal. So um, I was up all night long and um, we, there were protests going on in my city about the, uh, well, racism, anti-racism protests. And the police were tear gassing the protesters. And this was just down the road from my house. So I had the windows open. I could smell the tear gas coming in. My eyes were burning. And Mm. I thought, I just need a meeting right now. And then it hit me. I wonder if they're online. And then I thought, well, where is it time for a meeting? And and, and so it hit me. Well, Australia exists. (laughs) (laughs) So I went and found Al-Anon. alanon.org.au and I just looked around. I had never heard of any of these places except for the big cities and I found one in a place called Dandenong. Okay. <laughs> Dand- Dandenong North as I've found it on a map since then. Uh-huh. And um, it was at 2 o'clock in the afternoon their time which was midnight my time so it was perfect and I logged in and well, I wasn't sure how well I'd be received coming from the other side of the world, you know. Everybody was so lovely and so welcoming, and um, I still go to that meeting most weeks, by the way. Wow. But I go to several meetings, and um, this 
so my my work schedule tends to have me busy in the evenings and weekends, which is when most meetings in my area are. Mm-hmm. So I go to meetings now online when it suits me. Um, like earlier today, I was in one in South Africa. Wow. Um, I was in Israel earlier this week. It, it's it's just it's just a wonder to travel around the world like this. It's a real unintended consequence of the pandemic, isn't it? It's such a wonderful unintended consequence. Oh, it's a huge blessing, mm-hmm. um, no matter how you get it. Yep. Uh, now I saw you at the Diamond Creek meeting, even in Melbourne. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that that was another wonder of the of the lockdowns. Nobody had anything else to do, so we all sat in online <laughs> meetings all day. I, I'm one of the lucky ones that ended the lockdown in better uh, mental health than yeah, when I went exactly. into it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Talk about that a little bit now. Talk about the mental health benefits of sitting in an Al-Anon meeting or and practicing the twelve steps. So. Um, the my first bout with Al-Anon in person helped me go through a, a a crisis that I was in, but since you know I went to maybe one meeting a week too sometimes, and um, since the pandemic started, and I I was going to two meetings a week or two meetings a day during lockdown. Now it's only four or five a week, but um, it really gave me a time to sit down and look at myself, and I realized that I had really struggled with a lifetime of anxiety and envy. Oh, that was a terrible Mm. one. And depression, which I knew about, but I had never really named the anxiety and the envy of other people who had what I didn't have. And so this was a time, um, it helped me to get to grips with my, depression, with my anxiety, and yes, with my envy. So there was, you know, one of the great things I've learned is that there is no perfect solution to a lifetime of problems. I still have bad days, Mm -hmm. but they're bad days, not bad weeks, months, or years. So um, earlier, well, I was going to say the summer. That means nothing to Australians because it's just uh, coming into winter. But back in June, I was at a um, at a funeral for uh, a family friend in my um, hometown area, and it was at a church that just put me right back where I was when I was a child. And um, driving, it was like a six hour drive actually, and 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 on the way out of there. Um, because I was in the, in the South in a very, well, I won't mention which candidate uh, flags I saw everywhere, <laughs> but I buy a, um, a, a shop that was a combination pharmacy and gun shop of all things <sighs> only in America. Right. And I, I thought I should just pull in there and, and, and buy something and just shoot myself. <laughs> and so this would have sent me into a weeks or months long spiral before this program. And you know what happened right now? I just picked up the phone and I called somebody. And, um, you know, I thought, oh, who's awake right now? And so I ended up with somebody in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we just talked through it. And the first question was, why on earth did you go there? You knew what would happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it sounds like a harsh thing to say, but it really was what I needed to hear because it reminded me that I made choices in this and I can make choices again. And, you know, within five minutes, I was laughing. Mm-hmm. So, it's taught me how to 
this is something that AA tends to say more than Al-Anon, but we should say it too, taught me how to deal with life on life terms. Mm -hmm. So instead of trying to change other people, places, and things, just accept them as they are, deal with them to the best of my ability, and do what I need to do to take care of myself. Mm. And I think I I really like that that you called someone because the other thing we hear a lot in the 12-step programs is it's a we program, not an I program. Oh, absolutely. And um, some people call it the the thousand pound telephone, um, meaning, you know, it, it it's so heavy to pick up. It feels like such a hard thing to call somebody mm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it's so, I guess, a thousand kilos for, for Aussies, right? <laughs> and, and, and it's so, yeah, it, it's something that um, I hesitated to do at first to reach out to somebody. And now I realized, you know, that's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. And I don't, if they're not free, they won't answer with it or something. Just call somebody else. It's a worldwide fellowship. Yep. I can call people <laughs> multiple contacts. So it just works so well for me. Okay. Uh, it looks a great time for another break. So we'll take another break with some more music from Vicar and Linda. And we'll come back and talk to you a little bit more, Robert, about uh, recovery from the family disease of alcoholism. All right. Thanks so much.
سلام به همه گی This is Jahan Khonlu from Salam Radio Tune in 4 to 6 p.m. every Sunday on 3CR For a wide selection of modern music from the greater Middle East and beyond We feature guests both locally and internationally based To help bring new sounds to you For more information, please follow our Instagram At Salam Radio Show So tune on in Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12 p.m. on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming and we're talking with Robert about recovery from the effects of being close to someone with a problem of alcoholism. Um, Robert, uh, would you please talk to us a little bit now about how you work the 12 steps and um, in particular the concept of the higher power? Right, so I was raised in a religious tradition and of course since, excuse me, I've always been a rebel a bit of a rebel. The best way to rebellious in the 1980s in this country was to be a godless pinko communist. So, of course, I turned into one. Um, and, you know, I actually came back to um, at least a spiritual belief in my 20s. I was, I was drawn in through a variety of ways. So I was open to these things. Um, but it was... Anyway, you know, this is something that would take us about three more hours to talk about all the way. But um, one thing led to another in my journey, and I ended up becoming an Anglican priest. And so I I came into Al-Anon with this belief in a theoretical loving God who I came to realize later on I had a belief in a loving God in theory, but I didn't actually have a belief in a loving God that gave a damn about me personally. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, when I was growing up, the image of God that I had was a combination of, of uh, Santa and my dad after a long, hard day at work. Um, you know, that, oh, by the way, the one memory I do have of my father drunk was when he we were still living in New York and um, he would get hammered on the train on the way home. Um, my mother put a stop to that. But um, anyway, so, you know, these were the memory, these were the things I, I, the images I had about, about God. And when I was in my rebellious stage in younger years, when I rejected all that, I look back on that now and that was exactly what I should have done. Um, I cannot wear the clothes I wore when I was five years old. As a middle-aged man with a life experience of lots of things, 
why should I be expected to fit that life experience into an image of God I was given at five years old? Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't work for me now. So, um, you know, I, I had never, anyway, you mentioned the 12 steps. Um, so in step four, we do a thorough searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And in step five, we tell another human being, God and ourselves, the exact nature of our wrongs. Um, by the time I got that far, I had no problem telling God because God was there with everything I did wrong. Telling another person wasn't even the big thing. It was telling it out loud to myself and mm-hmm. admitting and owning that, yeah, life had dealt me some bad cards, but I had made a lot of mistakes on my own too. And I had done a lot to make a bad situation worse. And having to say that and admit that out loud and realize that, you know what, I'm okay in spite of the mess that I am. I'm okay with, I, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And so I have a personal feeling about God that it doesn't matter what your concept of God is, whether it's nature, a tree, your cat or a doorknob, it doesn't really matter. It's about knowing that this, whatever you have, loves, cares for you, and wants the best for you, which is what I feel for myself. Now, for others, it, it may be different, but, um, you know, if when I let go of the feeling of a God that wanted to punish me, that was the best thing I could have done for myself. Mm. And um, yeah, uh, so the thought of a God that's out there to, to get me and punish me was, I'll even label that spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. And it was a really good thing to let that go. Yeah. So I would encourage anybody that has that belief or grew up with that to give it some thought and see if it's really working for you now. And if it is, great. But um, if it's not, no need to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and how would you um, talk to that person about wh- if they're going to get rid of that punishing God? Uh, how do you how do they get a new one? Well, you know, it's it's a matter of even when we're children, learning what we like to eat means trying a lot of things and seeing what works. Um, find what's enjoyable. That's what's enjoyable and what drives. Um, person will usually be an insight into into the way that the holy is speaking or the divine is speaking um i I have come to view my afternoon nap as a vital part of my spiritual practice Mm -hmm. that is step 11 which is sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact (laughs) with god i do that unconsciously through taking a friggin' nap in the afternoon (laughs) but um Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people do enjoy nature and that's a really good place um, to start. Um, Something that we say in the 12 step programs frequently is that God can refer to the gift of desperation, which is whatever draws, whatever drives someone to seek the help that ends up safe. And so um, it's whatever brings love, comfort and joy. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and by the way, you know, the term higher power, I, 
to me means multiple things. Um, it could be my God. It could be a boss at certain times. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be. <laughs> so yep. Yep. we're we're all in um, hawk to a higher power in some way or another. The tax authorities, you know, they'll yep. do it too. <laughs> what did you mentioned spiritual practices the other uh, a minute ago? And I love hearing about people's spiritual practices. What other than having a nap in the afternoon? What else do you do? Well, um, going to my daily meetings is a huge part of that. So um, I'm, I'm putting on my, my religious hat here somewhat, but um, uh, when I hear people say, oh, my, my God is nature of the outdoors, and that's wonderful, run with that. But what a, what a spiritual community does is, for me, it helps shape and guide it into my spirituality, into new ways that... I never would have even thought to go myself. So it is one thing to find God in the forest or at the beach. That's easy. What's difficult is when you can challenge yourself, as I have done, and this is difficult, to find God when standing in a long line at the supermarket or when waiting in line to renew my driver's license. Or when... And when, when that is possible... I think you deserve a gold star in spirituality. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, uh, yeah, uh, but, you know, it's also sponsoring people, which is walking other people through the program. They always teach me so much. Um, Reading sometimes. I'm a film buff. I love music. Um, I'm a trained choral singer. I I mentioned earlier when we were talking, I once chanted even song for Her Majesty at uh, Canterbury Cathedral. Um, (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's, it's just a great, it's a great life. Just, I find when I open myself up to good things, they just happen. Mm. And I spent so many, so many years expecting the worst. I got it. And now mm. I expect the best and get it. Mm. That's, uh, that's very inspiring. Um, we're nearly at the end of our conversation. If there's someone out there who's, is feeling desperate today, um, and it is a problem of alcoholism in a relative or friend. Um, what would you say to them? Well, I say come to an Al-Anon meeting. Um, when it comes to addiction or alcoholism in a relative or friend, those of us who are not addicted like to think that we can fix the problem. We can't. Mm-hmm. All we can make worse. We didn't cause it. We didn't cure it. Or we can't cure it. We can't control it. What we can do is take care of ourselves so that we're in a position of strength when we do need to step in and and help when they cannot help themselves any longer, if it gets to that point. I, I would also encourage people who are feeling desperate, lonely, um, at, at, at the end of their rope, um, to reach out, even if there's not visible alcoholism in the family. You may have affected by it from several generations back. So um, even if you don't know that alcoholism is in your life, it may be worthwhile to try a meeting too. Um, No one's ever going to ask anything more from you than you want to give. So um, we need you more than your money, as they like to say in some other countries. (laughs) And no one's going to ask you for anything. So you've got nothing to lose except a little bit of time. And frankly, when the meetings are online these days, you can pop right out if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. It's it's fun. <laughs> yeah. So, 
but but definitely if things are not going well if you're at the end of your rope do ask for help whether it's from a a spiritual advisor a physician a therapist um phone the uh I, I don't know what the mental health crisis number is in Australia. Perhaps you can provide that, but mm-hmm. uh, it's something that, um, you know, th- there's no need to ever suffer alone ever. Mm-hmm. Actually at that point, Robert, I might just read, I might just say to the, to the audience, if you are concerned about someone else's drinking and would like to find out more about Al-Anon family groups, then you can phone them on one three hundred two five two six six six, or go online at alanon.org. Um, before you go, Robert, what are, can you recommend, since we can all get on uh, Zoom and go to meetings anywhere in the world, anytime, uh, can you recommend some of your favorite meetings around the world? Well, I have recently gotten so into South African meetings. There's a level of diversity there that I just really inspires me and also um, so many newcomers. So it's it's a wonderful feel there. Unfortunately, those are the middle of the night for uh, people in Melbourne. So, yeah. um, uh, but um, yeah, so my regulars, um, there are a few in the Melbourne area that I go to. Anything you'll find in an afternoon, they probably know me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and South Africa, there's a meeting in Israel that I really enjoy, although most people there are actually in New York, so <laughs> go figure. Um, California, but just like we speak English differently around the world, but it's the same language. The meetings are a little different everywhere, mm-hmm. but it's the same. Um, you know, like I've discovered, I don't like meetings on the East Coast of the United States. Not that there's anything wrong with them. They're just not my strong suit. These are all, especially in New York City, they're all high-pressure people, and that's not my thing. <laughs> Well, it is. Um, the meetings in Scotland are beautiful. They're just so relaxed and laid back in oh, Ireland. Really? Yeah. Um, I, I've always loved the Irish and Scottish meetings. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if you go into alanon.org, there are links around the world. Just find where, usually the best shot is evening. Just find where it's evening anytime you're looking and see what meetings they have. There's some great ones in New Zealand. Um, Hawaii, the West Coast of the United States, all of those work well for um, New Zealand or for Aussie time. Mm-hmm. Uh, India. Wow. India has some fast. So, you know, I, I've gone. A, yeah. So in the years of the pandemic where I couldn't leave my state, I've traveled the world through al And Wonderful. it was a gift. <laughs> all right. Um just one more thing I'm thinking, just talking to you. Do you have any um, opinion or, or what's your feeling about the difference between being at an in-person meeting and being at a Zoom meeting? There are definitely advantages to both. Um, at an in-person meeting, I actually that for first meeting, the second or the third, because there is the possibility there of picking up literature, which is an extremely important part of our program. Mm. Um, getting the books, getting the pamphlets, which are are wonderful, the brochures. Um, although the books, more and more of them are available on electronic format, and you can just download them immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, there's the possibility of getting a hug, going out for coffee with somebody afterwards. These are all really lovely things. Um, the best thing about the online meetings is that they're available at a time that works best for me personally. 
and um, so I can connect with people around the world. I mean, if you think about it, if this pandemic had hit 20 years ago, we would have just been up a creek because we didn't have mm-hmm. the have mm. now. But right now, um, yeah, so there are definitely advantages to both. I personally find online meetings work best for me, but some people prefer the in-person. And one good thing about this program is that we believe in letting what works work. So we're not going to dictate that everybody has to go online or everybody mm. be in person. Yep. Uh, Robert, that's about all we've got time for. So I'd um, like to thank you very much for um, sharing your experience with us today. Wonderful. Hey, it has been it has been my great pleasure. And one of these days I do hope to be able to walk into a face-to-face meeting in uh, Melbourne and actually meet people. We love <laughs> but Alan, our old in Albuquerque this summer if anybody wants to come to New Mexico. Okay, so that's the uh, an Al-Anon convention, right, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it's New in Me- June. It's in July, July, I believe. But, yeah, um, it's a worldwide convention, so anybody is anybody's welcome. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much, Robert. Um, I'll just say again, if you're concerned about someone else's drinking and would like to find out more about Alan on family groups then you can phone them on 1300 252 666 or go online at alanon.org.au coming up next on 3CR we have Balanoir the spirit of war hosted by Uncle Taljum Choco Edwards join Uncle Choco on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns thanks for listening stay safe stay safe and stay tuned now for more radical radio on 3CR to take us out I'll play a song uh, treaty by Kucha Edwards and Shelley Moore Yeah.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.